All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Where Your Feet Take You podcast. I am very excited to be here. I'm coming to you from Tucson, Arizona at the moment, and Aaron is in Phoenix still. So we are in the same state, just not the same area. But thank you again, everybody, for joining us, for everybody who has listened and sent in questions. We have a very intriguingly packed episode today that we are going to, we'll get into here in a minute. But first, Erin, how's your week been? It's been pretty good. I guess it's, I don't know what um, day it is, Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah, the weather's getting really nice um, after lots of sessions of PT working hard, I'm back on the bike and feeling good and pushing as many watts as I seem to have ever been. So feeling really good about that and just been a good week. So how about you? Yeah. You had a really, you had a really good ride yesterday? Yeah. Monday? Yeah, yesterday. 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 Um, yeah. Like you definitely, you were pushing some of your best watts that you've you've ever pushed. So off the bike, I definitely feel good about that. And I kind of needed that confidence boost headed into Oceanside. So that was nice. Yeah. And the I think it's a good cool. reminder. And it, probably a good reminder too, that. Yeah, you your your biking hasn't been the build that we want it to be, but you've been consistent over time and you kept everything else strong. You kept your running strong, your fitness from your swimming, like, right, your fitness is there. And just because you haven't been able to bike the way that you wanted doesn't necessarily mean that you are, you know, losing every ounce of your bike fitness. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to be able to see it because as a coach, like, those are things I know, but there's still right. that <laughs> athlete <laughs> mindset where you're like, shit I'm screwed like I'm gonna suck even though you know that's not how it works I but know. there's still that emotional piece that's sometimes hard to let go of until you kind of prove to yourself that it is still there right it's like we know these things whenever I'm like spiraling or anything Brandon always goes well what would you tell your athletes or your mental performance clients and usually I want to tell Brandon to fuck off <laughs> because I don't want that comment right now yeah but he is right it's like (laughs) he is right that it's a you know kind of sometimes is a good way to like okay let's step back and remind myself okay what if if one of my athletes was coming to me with this problem what would I say to them I'd probably say x y and z and so okay that's how I should respond then too so Mm -hmm. it's been a good reminder for me it's made me a better athlete to like think about it from that angle you know, the whole, what is it? What's that saying? Treat yourself. No, treat others how you want to be treated, but you should flip it. Like treat yourself how you treat others. If you treat people nicely, obviously. Um, (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) Well, good. I'm glad to hear that it's been a good week. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So how are you doing? I know getting down to Tucson was kind of a disaster, but you made it. Oh my gosh, I made it. <laughs> that was a long day. So I was supposed to leave Spokane at 6 a.m. And we get on the airplane. Everything's good. We de-ice, which takes forever. So we're already leaving like 45 minutes late because de-icing took forever. We get onto the taxiway, get onto the ready to go. The engines rev 
and then stop. Not good. (laughs) They taxi us back to the gate. They basically said that there was like engine power failure. They couldn't get enough power. So they taxi us back to the gate, get us off the airplane, spend about an hour to hour and 20 minutes, quote unquote, fixing the problem, did their tests, said it was fixed, get everybody back on the airplane, do the de-icing again, get us down the runway, onto the runway, rev the power to start taking off and dead again in the water. Get us off the airplane again. And then we stand in line for like an hour and four, I stood in line for like an hour and 45 minutes to get rescheduled. I got rescheduled for a 2.30 p.m. flight that got me into Phoenix at 6 p.m. And then I had to get my rental car and drive to Tucson. I was supposed to arrive in Tucson probably around 4.30, and I arrived around 9.30, Long day. Long day. Very yes. long day. And for those of you that have never been to the Spo- never been to the Spokane Airport, it is very small. There's not a lot of food options. Yeah. Quiznos, Starbucks. It's kind of about it. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's tiny. Yeah. This is tiny. So that was a long day, but got here, had a good training day yesterday, um, and then today had a huge day today. I am whooped. I swam 3K this morning, biked two hours, and then ran 19 miles that became like just a suffer fest, just straight suffer fest. I walked a little bit. I went through like five bottles of water, all of my nutrition before, like just... I got, I was supposed to do like 22 miles. And by the time I got to like 18, I was like, I'm just going to schlog my way home. And yeah, it happens. It happens to all of us. It does. It does. But we're here now. Like- so <laughs> I think a lot of us have had that, that feel where you're just like literally going, get me to the finish line, get me to the finish line. I just kept being like, okay, just got to get to your car, Kayla, get to your car, get to your car. Yeah. <laughs> And then I was out of water. I was complete. I was completely out of water, and I didn't have my wallet, so I only had like my Apple Pay or whatever that is. And the coffee shop was closed. I was like dying. I needed water or something, and I like ran into this like yoga shop, and they had a little vending machine. I was like, "Will this take Apple Pay?" And she's like, "No, it won't. We have to set up this account." And I was like, "I just need some water." <laughs> Thankfully, she's like, "Oh, if you just need water, here, here's a water bottle." <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god!" Oh, you. that was sweet. <laughs> just dying so i proceeded to chug a bottle of water and eat potato chips in my car because i needed to like figure out a way to drive myself back to my airbnb (laughs) that was the only way it was going to happen yeah yeah it happens to everybody very classy (laughs) yes it does (laughs) yes it does even though the best of us i don't think there's a single athlete out there i don't care who you are that has not experienced that probably more times than we care to actually admit. And so, yeah. Yeah. So then t- got another big day tomorrow. I'm only down here t- through Friday. So I have a big day tomorrow and then I have a medium day Friday and I fly out Friday night to get back okay. to my family. I don't, the kids yeah. aren't down here with me and that's actually been, 
I'm not, I don't like it. Um, I often yeah. get like all these messages like you need to have, you need to get away from the kids. You need to go on, out on a trip on your own. You need to, you know, you need to go on a girl's trip. And honestly, like I'm more mentally drained from them not being here than I feel rested. Like, yes, it's easier. And I've actually gotten two nights of sleep, which is fabulous. <laughs> but I miss them so much that yeah. it's like draining. It's draining how much I miss them. That's and yes, so they sweet. are exhausting, but <laughs> I miss them so much. This is like my long, I've never gone on a training camp without them. Yeah. Yeah. Aww, like well, this is the be first time I've been this. Yeah, I hope so. They will I hope be. So. They will be. We t- <laughs> we talk every morning and every night and FaceTime. Yeah. So and we do lots of FaceTime. Good. Which is good. But yeah, I miss them lots. Like yeah. it's amazing how their chaotic energy while exhausting. Like I actually miss them beating on each other and having to yell at them for it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's a good reminder that there is like if you have a bad training session or you bonk or something, I feel like kids are a good reminder. Like it's not the end of the world. There's other things. Oh, a hundred percent. Cause they, they don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we, I get off my ride or down my ride and Skylar just says, are you done mommy? Or did you have a good ride? Did you run fast? It's all he, he doesn't care. He just wants me. To, and then he goes, do you want to play baseball with me? <laughs> Let's go play baseball. Like, he, he, there's Baylor just wants to go dance party. Just, they don't care. They just are, they're just excited that you're there. That's the only thing they care about. And it, it's fabulous and amazing. And we should be more like that. Like, we yeah, really should be more should. like toddlers because they don't take shit from people. They know their own mind. <laughs> they... <laughs> They do what they want to do. They aren't afraid. They do. Oh, yes, they do. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, they do. (laughs) That's a, that's a different, that is a challenge. That is for sure. (laughs) Skylar's going through like the three-nager stage right now. That's what I'm calling it because he's just wants to be so independent and do it on his own and be a big kid and... But he wants to eat ice cream for breakfast. You can't eat ice cream. Like, come on. Like, I do too, buddy. No, Skylar, so you need to eat breakfast. I know, right? Like, we all want to eat. I mean, the options that we provide him are really not that great anyways. I mean, Fruit Loops and Mandarin oranges. I mean, that's his option. So, Yeah. I wonder why Skyler's a super picky eater too. Is for he? those of for those of you, yes, thank you. For those of you that are about to maybe complain that I don't feed my children appropriate foods, Skyler is an extraordinarily picky eater. Trying to get him to eat anything is very challenging. So we kind of roll with it. And if he wants to eat mandarin oranges for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, that's what he eats because at least he's eating. Yeah. So. Yes, very picky. He's gotten better now that he's pooping on a regular basis. So that's good. It's a good thing. It's really yeah. Good. 
It is. It is big. It's a big, big shift for him. Um, and he's eating a lot better because of it. And he's actually putting on weight, which is also a good thing because he is a lean bean, lean bean. Yes, he is. Um, so awesome. All right. Well, we have a great topic for today. It's a little bit of a, uh, vulnerable one for me. Um, as it's very much related to kind of my whole pregnancy journey um, over the last three years. Um, so in our last episode, we talked a lot about kind of being on having, you know, help, being on having your period and what that looks like and all those things. And I briefly, very briefly mentioned in that space that because I had very irregular periods and kind of stuff like that, I had a hard time getting pregnant with Skylar and that I had to, we saw a fertility doctor and I had to get help. And that's kind of all I said about it. Well, that prompted a question in regards to hormones and how they maybe could help performance if I had to get a TUE for it, what and kind of that whole process. Um, and I'll be very honest that I don't talk about that very often for this exact reason. Because it was a very challenging, um, and the more I like really, really think back on it, like I probably should have seen a therapist for all this that I will start talking, walking my way through here. Um, It was very, very, very mentally and emotionally challenging for me. Um, And I don't like to talk about it because what happens is that the very first thing that when I talk about the fact that I had to see a fertility doctor to try to help get pregnant with my first kid is people instantly go to, oh, did you have to get a TUE? And to me, while important, really dulls the mental and emotional toll that it put on me. And it probably puts, and it puts on a lot of people. Um, And so I don't bring it up very often, but we're going to bring it up. We're going to talk about it (laughs) here on this this piece. So before we get into it too far, um, if you are listening to this and you have had struggles with fertility, miscarriages, um, and any of that stuff, and that is too triggering, please know that we understand. And if you need to turn this off, please do. I totally understand that space because there have been times where I've been watching a TV show and Someone's going through a miscarriage and I literally, I, I can't watch it. Cannot watch it because it hits me wrong at the wrong time. Um, also know that we totally understand and we're here. And mm-hmm. I know I've been through it. Erin's been through her own pieces of life. Um, and I want to ask that everybody please be kind because, again, this is a very challenging topic uh, for me to talk about. But we're going to talk about it because I think it's important because I kind of wish as I was going through it that I had heard from other people more. And I know that eventually when I went through my miscarriage, sharing that with people that I knew maybe knew or they reached out to me helped a lot. And so that's my hope with this, um, that maybe it helps. So awesome. Okay. So, any questions, Aaron? Things you want to add really quick? 
before I no, I think, monologue my story um, here for a second. <laughs> maybe just going just a quick summary of kind of the three years why you went on it just for people who haven't listened to the last episode maybe um to talk about oh yeah perfect the children and um yeah why you needed on it again just as a recap kind of perfect yeah so really I think like the more so I kind of spent all day thinking about this and really um I think it stems from a lot of things. So as I mentioned, I had we had a hard time getting pregnant with Skylar for a while. We kind of tried on and off um, and then fairly hard for about two years. Um, and at the time, I kind of around that two-year mark, we really just said, like, we, I basically said, if we're going to get pregnant, this is when I want to do it. So we need to figure out, let's do it. And we, we had been trying, and it just obviously was not working. Um, and at the time I went and saw my OBGYN and, um, we got some blood work done and I had basically no, no progesterone, none. I am someone who naturally has very low progesterone, which is something that I will learn as I moved through my next couple, the next couple of years. Um, and I think one, I naturally have that, um, as because I always have, had very irregular periods. And then two, at this time I was 29 and I was only five ish years, quote unquote, recovered from anorexia, which puts a huge toll on your body. Um, right. It completely depletes everything. You start getting, soft spots in your bones and your hair starts to fall out. Like, I mean, obviously we can go into a lot more detail about, well, I can't go into detail about that because I'm not an expert, but I think that it took a very long time for my body to catch up to the fact that I was, had put myself through this space Mm -hmm. and it was affecting me trying to get pregnant. Um, and so uh, she sent me to a fertility doc, sent us to a f- fertility doctor. Um, Brandon got tested um, because we wanted to, you know, we wanted to call, roll out all the pieces. And then, but what we really found was that I had zero progesterone, which meant that I wasn't ovulating. Um, and that was hard to hear, um, honestly, because it was your body doesn't function properly. That's kind of how I. That's how it made me feel that something that women are supposed to be able to do so naturally, right? That's, we're supposed to be able to have babies. doesn't necessarily mean that we have to or need to or want to, but we are literally created to have babies. It is sad that that's what we are created for, but we can't. We are, right? Again, before anybody freaks out about that statement, that is not what I'm getting at. But I felt like my body couldn't do something that it was naturally created to do. Yeah. And is she... In her 20s, like, it's just an expectation that, like, whenever I decide I want to become pregnant, I can. Mm-hmm. Because that is the design of the human body. But in reality, that's not the case for many women out there. So I think it's important that you're sharing Many. It. It's not 
necessarily a given. Yeah. And throughout the next three years of this journey and then what I'll get into with my miscarriage, I'm re- I realized that it a, a lot of women, a lot of women go through it. Um, I mean, one in four women have a miscarriage at least once in their life. Um, and probably more than that are affected by some form of infertility um, or struggles with getting pregnant. Um, and so the doctor, you know, she was really great, um, but, she, you know, she said, this is what we do for people who don't ovulate. We put you on progesterone and um, letrozole. Um, and that, I said, I mean, at the time I said, okay. And in, in looking back on it, what I really wish had happened was that she said, okay, this is the clinical way we can do it, but here's also more holistic ways that we can help you potentially. Here is more natural ways. That was not given to me as an option. And I think that's a misstep in how we handle women in in, infertility pieces because I wish I had had more of a natural way of doing it because what I'm about to explain is that I did not like that process. It was horrible. Um, And so, okay, I kind of got this information. And so then I um, at the time I was an age grouper. So this was in 2018. So this was four years to the end of 2018, early 2019. So this was four years ago. Um, I wasn't, I was an age grouper. I, but I was a good, very good age grouper. I was an elite age grouper. I was having really good success. I had just come off of getting eighth at Kona. I had been winning races kind of left and right. Um, so I was having a lot of success. I actually technically qualified for my pro card in 2018, just didn't realize it. Um, so I was having a lot of success and I said, okay, well, okay, well, let me think on it. Cause I needed to think on it. And at the time I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to double check this stuff on the USADA, um, uh, website. And basically what I found was that in competition and out of now I'm, I should have looked at this up, but I know for sure in competition and probably out of competition, um, letrozole specifically was not okay. Um, it was a banned substance unless you got a medical exemption and I get it. Um, one, I did get the TUE. Um, even though I was an age grouper, I felt that it was my duty to get a TUE. I felt that it was important to do. I wanted to do it right. I wanted to follow the rules. Um, but it made me really angry. Um, that I had to do that at the time. Wow, apparently this is going to bring up some stuff. Uh, <laughs> made me really angry because I felt like I was asking permission to get pregnant. I felt like I had to ask this governing body that I didn't know and say, hey, my body doesn't work right. I need help. I want to have a baby. Will you allow it? And I hated that. Yeah. Still do. I understand. Um, <clears throat> I understand why. I agree with it because I believe that there needs to be regulation around it. But I hated it. it made me uncomfortable. Um, the process was easy. 
I had to get proof from my fertility doctor and my OBGYN. Um, we sent in my aunt to do that, which I had to send in my blood results. I had to send in my testing. I had to have a note from the doctor, an explanation. And again, it felt very invasive um, to do, but it was easy. And then I sent that in and they approved it. And I can't remember how the length of, I think it was like a six month approval. Um, I ended up not really using it because I, um, for two reasons. One, I went on one round of progesterone and letrozole and hated it, hated it so much. My, I was miserable. I was cranky. I was angry. I was negative. I felt horrible in my body. I didn't feel like me. I, I was slow. It was, there was zero performance improvement at all. Um, it made me feel horrible. And on top of that, it was very, very stressful. Um, because, when you go through this process and then are trying to get pregnant, it's you follow this very specific guideline and you take these letrozoles on these very specific days and you have to have sex on these very specific days based off of your blood. So I had to get my blood drawn and then you had to have sex on these very specific days after it. And it was just like this schedule and this clinical thing. And I felt horrible and I was miserable. And I was like, this is not how this is supposed to go. And it didn't work. My blood tests still showed I had I wasn't ovulating and I didn't work. And when it came time to do the second round, I remember going to Brandon crying, saying, I can't, I can't do this. I cannot, I cannot do this. I can't go through that again. And that's not necessarily fair of me because I know that there's so many other women who go through so much more with IUV, IVF and stuff. But for me, I couldn't do another round. And I said, if that, if that means we can't get pregnant right now, then that's just, that's what, that's what it means. Cause I, I can't do that. Um, so I didn't take another round. Um, we ended up getting pregnant like three months later. Um, naturally I did some research on natural ways to help boost uterine lining and, hormones and stuff, um, which I checked in USADA. None of them were even listed. They didn't even pop up. These are um, it, um, Chase Tree Berry, which is a completely natural way to help boost fertility. Um, and that helped. Um, and we got pregnant. Um, and I went through the whole, went through a very natural pregnancy um, no support. I didn't take any, there was no support beside from a hormone standpoint, um, despite, um, all of my levels being very low. So usually when you get pregnant, your progesterone levels like skyrocket, they get very high because that helps to support the pregnancy. Mine were basically still non-existent. They barely made a blip on the radar. My doctor actually was like, you should t- be taking progesterone to help this. And I said, no, because yeah. I didn't like what it did. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of my process with the TUE. And, and then it just, I mean, it just faded into existence because I was pregnant and I wasn't, didn't need it and didn't do anything with it or any of those pieces. And it's, I'm glad I did it. Um, I wish I hadn't had to. Um, but 
It was part of the process. And for this instance, it was challenging. Other instances, it's not. I know you, I know you, Aaron, have put in a couple because of, you know, asthma and, you know, being a coach and athlete and, you know, in college and stuff. And you have to be very on top of that. And it's important yeah. to be on top and of I that. And I think that's where you just know, and for um, people who don't know, TUE stands for Therapeutic Use Exemption. And it's just a form you go through to give um, permission well, yes, that call. you're a doctor has approved you to take this medication because it's medically necessary um, for whatever reason. Um, so I have asthma. I, yes. And needs to be uh, monitored. monitored by your doctor. And usually there's other forms. So I have really bad asthma. Um, so, and I've gotten really sick before to the point where I like can't walk without having like taking deep breaths and coughing and that's not due to me being out of shape it's because my lungs just don't work properly all the time and sometimes I need medication to help that so every now and then I have to go on a corticosteroid um that needs to be that's required to have a TUE for um that my doctor does and I do several different breathing tests to show my lung function is severely below a normal level and I need that just to get me to really, it still puts me at a below average baseline of lung function most of the time. Um, but it gets me to a point where I'm mm -hmm. functioning normal. Um, it's something I've had just my whole life and I feel like I've known a good amount of people with asthma. So I don't think it's been as emotional to me, but it does show the importance of knowing what you're putting in your body and knowing if a doctor prescribes something, if it requires a TUA, mm -hmm. TUE, and using USADA's database to look up if you'll need a TUE for it, and if you can even get a TUE for it, um, and if it's worth yep. it to you to do that, or if there's other ways Correct. to deal with um, or to help what you're going mm -hmm. through medically. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's the, the, the website to like just to figure this out is super easy. You just go to usada.org, I think. And there's like a, you can like type it. It literally is like a filtering base and you can type in what it is that you're looking for. And it's super easy, um, to figure out. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a process and it's an important one. It's a challenging one for me. It was very challenging not to do, but mentally and emotionally. Um, and, you know, part of the question um, that I kind of, that was sent in was, did I feel like it has helped with my success going, those taking those hormones? And one, I want to say again, I did, basically didn't take them because I hated it. I did it once and it was horrible under very guided and very strict regulations. Um, and then I got pregnant and I didn't have to worry about it. Um, and I definitely do not think that it helped anything. I had great success before and I've had great success after. Um, and it's been, you know, there's been a lot that's gone on for me between that stage. Um, so, you know, I, all of times in which, you know, I've had to kind of deal with some of this constant feel as though my body, <clears throat> and I think what 
this whole topic really brought up for me was this, this feel as though I'm not capable and that my body is not, something's wrong with me. And this was a big piece that I've been struggling, I've struggled with for a long time. Um, it's one of the reasons that I ended up with an eating disorder in college. Um, I was just not feeling like my body was capable and I needed to control that. And it, when we tried to get, we got pregnant again with our second pregnancy um, and then miscarrying at eight weeks, just another round of that of you're can't you can't do something something's wrong with you you can't your body doesn't want to do what it's supposed to do um i mean i had had a very healthy pregnancy with skylar and it was mind-boggling to me that i try again and it doesn't work um for no reason i i we don't you know we don't know what caused the the miscarriage um really it was probably an actuality thinking about it it's my body being very smart and saying that this pregnancy is either going to harm the baby or it's going to harm you we can't support that we're going to get rid of it um and scientifically that makes sense but mentally and emotionally it doesn't make sense at all um and having the question asked, did I feel like having help to get pregnant has made my success really just made me feel very, again, just like I failed again when my body's doing great. I mean, I, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, but when you go through losing a baby – it never goes away, um, ever. I literally think about it every single day. Every single day. Um, some days more than others. And then on, so then we, so we lost that baby. And then I, we got pregnant again fairly quickly afterwards. Did and had a miscarriage scare. Did pregnant again um, after the miscarriage that. to go through all that pain again? Or... How, what was like that, like getting pregnant again? Uh-huh. Yeah. Very hard. Um, the first 12 weeks were very, very hard, very stressful. Um, I had, um, so when in, got pregnant and was really excited and happy about it, but it was just this underlying, what if I lose this one? What if something really is wrong with me? what if I lose this one again? Like I can't lose another one. Um, I didn't think, I, I didn't think I could do it if I lost another one. I, I moved through my first miscarriage very well. Um, in part to the support that I had for my husband and Skylar, even though he was really tiny and didn't understand, uh, my parents, um, you know, friends that I was able to reach out to and then triathlon really helped ground me. Um, but I knew I wanted another baby, but getting pregnant again was very scary. So I went in very early, um, to get everything checked. And the first thing we did, you know, we, we had, we had a heartbeat, heartbeat at, at four weeks, 
which was good. Um, but my blood work was concerning. Um, my progesterone was extremely low, basically non-existent again. And, um, the pregnancy hormone that, especially during the first 12 weeks that is so prevalent was very, very low. Um, and so what that hormone is supposed to do is it's basically supposed to double every week or every, I think it was like every five-ish or so days. It's supposed to double. And that is showing that the fetus is growing appropriately and that you're, you know, carrying a, um, a healthy baby. Um, so we had to, I got to go back in. I had, had to wait five days, get tested again, get blood work tested, um, and showed that my levels hadn't doubled. They had gone up, but they had not doubled, um, which was extremely stressful um, because that can easily signify miscarriage when they're not going up. Um, we waited another week, did another test, and thankfully they had continued to go up. They didn't double, but they had continued to go up. Um, and so we basically just tested. I got my blood drawn every week for eight, six to eight weeks to make sure that my levels were going up. And then at 10 to 12 weeks, levels had gone up enough and the ultrasound showed very healthy baby. Um, and we were able to move past that space. Um, but that was hard. And I spent a lot of my pregnancy with a mixture of extreme gratitude, but a lot of guilt that why did this baby make it, but the other one didn't. Um, Which is not fair to Baylor because it's not his fault, but it's still there. Um, <laughs> apparently, I haven't worked through all this stuff. It's really cool and <laughs> awesome that you're sharing it with others because. I bet there are so many women out there who have the same thoughts and have the same emotions as you do, but it's not something that's talked about a lot at all. I've never heard anyone talk about it much. So to have someone like you come out and be able to show this vulnerability and share your story and share all these emotions, I think will just help support so many women out there because all the thoughts you're having are valid. It is um, yeah. definitely not talked about. So, and I think all the feelings you're having. Are yeah, it's, it's not talked about. Um, and I think it's important to know that it definitely doesn't. It's kind of. It's kind of like. It's that piece of you that you never stop thinking about. Um, for good and bad. I mean, I love that I still think about that baby. Um, and I believe very strongly that Baylor is a piece of both of, both himself and whatever that baby was going to be. Boy, girl, doesn't matter. Uh, and for some reason, that was the path I was supposed to take. 
Um, and I'm okay with that. But it does not, that process doesn't define, well, that's not what I want to say. Um, my success does come from it in a large part. part. And it has nothing to do physiologically. 100% to do with the fact that having kids going through the po- the prepartum depression that I went through with Skylar and then navigating being a new mom during COVID and, and then miscarrying and then getting pregnant again created a bigger, bigger space for love for me. Um, I've always been a very stoic person. I'm not very open with my feelings. I'm, I loved, I always knew what love was. I loved, I loved my husband. I fell in love with him. I married him. I loved my family. I'd been in love before. Um, but I never loved me fully until I went through all this, until I had Skylar and then that losing that other baby and then coming full circle to giving birth to an amazingly wonderful little boy, Baylor, it opened up a completely new version of me, a better version, someone who actually understood love and love an unconditional, deep love that you can't fully explain until you experience it that allowed me to love me. And that was the change for me. I was successful before. I was good. I was very good. I've always had talent, but I've always had to work really hard, really, really hard. I have to, I've had talent, but I'm not the most talented. I have to work very, very hard at what I do. And the edge that having kids gave me was the flip, was the switch, was what has allowed me to become who I am now. It's not a physiological thing. It was 100% this space to find an a new a love for me and appreciation for me and the power that I have. I mean, I carried three babies, one not very long, but I still carried it. Still there. I gave birth to two beautiful kids. I have mothered them and loved them and I've created space for them and space for our family to grow. And that allowed me to actually find space for really believing in the things that I wanted in my life. Triathlon being one of them. Coaching being another. My business. My family. And and that was the dip. That was a, that was the switch, because every time we talked about it before at the beginning, every time that I come home, I know that no matter what I did out there, they believe in me. I had the worst day ever, and they believe in me. They love me. They just love me for exactly who I am. And so, if they can love me for exactly who I am, yeah, why can't I? 
And that was the switch. That was the change. That is what my success has come from, mixed with a lot of hard work and dedication. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing on behalf of myself um, and for everybody listening. I think it's really powerful and I think it's really important for it to be talked about because as you said, one in four women experience a miscarriage at some point in their lives and one in five at least experience some type of infertility issues yet it's just not a talked about topic so it's really appreciated that you're showing this vulnerability and sharing your story and your emotions so thank you yes thank you for letting me monologue about it <laughs> um yeah and so you know i want to you know, I think this question was a good question. It was an important question because it does need to be talked about. And what it prompted for me, the angle that I wanted to take it was more along the lines of how this whole process affected me mentally and emotionally, because it was much bigger than needing to get a therapeutic usages exemption for yeah. a week, basically. Um, <laughs> um but I also don't want to downplay that process too. And I think you talked about that as well and the importance of it and the importance of being informed. And I know as a coach, for me, I constantly talk to you guys or I try to about, hey, you know, reminder, pay attention to what you're putting into your body. Pay attention to when someone just says, hey, you should do this. Question it. Look it up. See what it's going to do for you because a lot of times – it's things are just given to us without, they don't realize as an athlete, how much it can affect you and the pieces that it can, you know, create. And so, um, I think having that database is an important one to understand yeah. and to utilize I think both of us and to pay attention to support clean um, and fair sport and whether you're the sport to be fair and we don't want any competitive advantage, I guess, from things. Um, and support drug testing and all that. No. At least I can speak for myself. I support yeah. things. Very <laughs> um, much. I, but it's also sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I think that yeah. they, I think we need more I of agree. it. I think there needs to be more drug testing in triathlon uh, across the board for pros and age groupers. It's not done enough. Um, but I also understand the constraints that come with trying to test people across the world. Um, which is why it's so challenging sometimes. Um, but that becomes on us as athletes then to stand up and yep. be clean, be fair, know what you're Only putting into your body. Party tested supplements, NSF approved supplements. Like you don't know what's necessarily in the things you're taking mm -hmm. either. Um, so just being a clean athlete yourself is a really mm -hmm. good first step. That's a very good point, Erin, because that is one thing that they, if you are, anytime you're purchasing something, you want to look for, they, they, they have to, if it is, and I always, you're going to say, you said I'm right, but I always say I'm wrong, but um, those stamps are on the product. And if they are not, 
you probably shouldn't buy them because you don't know what's in that factory or where they're being produced and what's being created. Um, and so paying very close attention to, you know, if it's third-party tested, if it's, um, NSF we'll is just another third-party testing. SF? Yeah. Is that it? NSF. Um, but it's just mm-hmm. important because it's, yep. yeah, um, and there's other ones too. required to be regulated in the U.S. I'm not sure what worldwide if they are or not, but I know in the U.S. they are not. You could throw anything in a supplement and sell it. Um, and there's no regulation mm-hmm. on the mar- monitoring of it. And if you're actually selling what you say you're selling or if it's cross-contaminated with a different substance. Um, so that's just why it's really important to know mm-hmm. what you're putting in your body. Yep. And yeah, there are ways that you can you can check those things. Um, you know, you can check them on their website. You can usually check and check it on physically on it. Um, and then if you are concerned, um, in the U.S., it's USADA. Um, in other governing bodies, it's different. I don't know for across the board. But in the U.S., it's USADA, and they have a great website to be able to check what you're using. Um, and I definitely would always encourage if you are given something from a medical professional and it's on the list before one, before having to go through maybe a TUE, asking questions. Is there a safe, not safer, not necessarily the right way, but is there a different way, a different route to get the same that involves, you know, a better or more approved way? Um, Doesn't mean that it's not important. Um, it's just, it, it, it prompts asking questions and that's actually what, you know, and I do want to bring that up. That's like, that actually is something, um, that, uh, that was, uh, did prompt this for me when I worked with the fertility doctor, because previously they, they prescribed me Clomid and that was complain completely banned. I don't know. I forget why, but I said, I can't take that. Um, and she said, well, what about letrozole? Um, and I did some research and that was better from a process standpoint and getting a TUE standpoint. Um, so it prompted that question. But I, again, my, one of my regrets is that it didn't prompt me to say, just cause I didn't know I was very vulnerable. I was in a very scared position. I was feeling like someone was telling me that you, something's wrong with you. This is the only way to fix it. And I didn't have enough knowledge or support out, you know, the world wasn't providing enough knowledge and support to say, hey, there are other ways to do this. And I think that's where the change needs to come yeah. in this type of situation. Um, I don't have the answer for changing I that. I mean, thing. I think just, so. <laughs> I mean, this is my, just my opinion, but I think Americans are too fast to turn to medicine in general for some things without looking at natural ways to get healthy. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I know I mentioned last week that I had went on birth control when I was 15. And that's, I feel like a common experience for people when they get their period and they're having heavy cramps. The first thing's like, let's just throw you on the pill um, without ever exploring other methods to do that. And I think that's Mm -hmm. the case for a lot of different health issues. So I think learning to do your own research into things sometimes, and then not solely relying on that, but then asking the doctor questions about what you 
read and what you researched. So I think questions. it's important to ask mm -hmm. questions. Mm -hmm. Yep, agreed. And I hope that is what everybody takes away from this um, is to be willing to stand up for yourself and to be an informed consumer, an informed user, an informed athlete, and also knowing that sometimes this stuff is hard. And that's okay. And that's okay. Um, and lastly, you know, if anybody's ever gone through any of this and they need someone to talk to, I know I'm, I'm, I'm here. Um, it was helpful for me to reach out to people who had gone through something similar uh, when I was going through it. Um, and so I am always here. My ear is always open. Um, I will provide whatever advice you feel you need. I will not provide any advice. <laughs> I'll listen, tell you I'm sorry, and then I understand and give you hope because there is hope in the situation. It's not, there's a lot of power in that and there's a lot of hope in it and there's a lot of good that came from it for me. So there's still, there's still good. Well, thank you again so, for sharing. That's all right, everybody. Appreciated by me and probably so many others out there. Yes. Well, thank you guys for allowing me this space to share. Um, and yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode and we will be back next week on a more regular schedule. Hopefully this week got crazy. <laughs> this week got crazy. So yep. uh, you can go ask us questions at where your thank you podcast awesome. or on Instagram. So we look forward to talking to you guys next week. Yes, yes, please do. We like your questions. Okay. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Bye. Thanks, guys. You haven't stopped the recording yet. Just a heads up. Oh, okay.